You're listening to the Sub-25 Podcast. Sub-25 is the college and young adult ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church. Our mission is to see the college campuses, workplaces, and communities around Birmingham changed by the power of the gospel. Here's this week's message. Amen. Amen. I'm so grateful for that song. You know, that song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, uh, it, that is a fitting description of what we see God doing in the book of Judges. And yes, we see the people, Israel, which are honestly very similar to us, making terrible decisions. But even when they couldn't see it, God was working. Uh, I hope that you really mean those words. And even if you are, like the song says, even when I can't feel it, you're working. Hey, sometimes we got to sing through that. We got to sing through the feelings. Hey, I, we may, maybe we don't feel like giving God praise. I'm still going to praise him because I know that he desires and he deserves that praise. Well, hey, I'm so glad that you're with us tonight. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to Judges chapter 6. We've been journeying through Judges, and I hope it's been fruitful for you. Uh, it's been good for me, but I'm going to be honest. It's kind of hard for me when I'm sitting and studying and trying to think through what God would have us to hear I'm grateful for men who've gone before me and they have written books. And, and some of you, you, you may be the kind of person where you like to read the Bible, but you also like to kind of see, okay, what are some other people saying? How are they, how are they concluding some of the things they're concluding? Uh, for me in my study, I go to some, some different people. I would be happy uh, to, to tell you, hey, here, here's some people that I'm reading as I'm trying to think through judges. And so if you're somebody that you kind of want to take what we talk about and go home and continue to think about it and, and read it, I am happy uh, to point you to some resources. For me, some people that I'm reading, and I'm, I'm saying their names because I don't want you to think that I just go sit in my office and, and just come up with stuff. I'm, I'm grateful for men who have taught and, and prayed through. And so as I'm studying and seeing what they're saying, I'm asking that the Lord would, uh, would lead and guide. But guys like Mark Trotter, Tim Keller, Thomas Constable, David Guzik, David Beldman, these, these are different pastors or former pastors, theologians. And so again, I'm happy to share that list with you so that you can in your study go and look these things out. Because we're seeing some crazy stuff in Judges, and we're going to continue to see that tonight. But Judges chapter 6, we are going to meet our next judge, the next deliverer, uh, the next savior, if you will. Because we've said that that word judge, we could put the word uh, deliverer or savior there. And we're going to meet a guy named Gideon in just a minute. Uh, if you haven't found it, again, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 and 7 this evening. You know, it's hard for me to believe that I've been married for nine years. So again, this past August, I've been married for nine years. And, and we're in a different season of life. Uh, normally, Angela would be here. And in fact, if you've been around for a while, before we had kids, she was always here. And it's hard for her because our two boys, they can't sit through the service, as many of you have heard them cry uh, in the past. And so uh, she can't be here. Uh, but I'm so thankful for my wife. And I wish that you could have been at our wedding. I didn't know any of you when I got married. And, and now I know many of you very well. I wish you could have been there. It was, we had a great time. We had a really good time. I wish you could have been at the reception. We had a great reception, a lot of music, a lot of food. Does anybody like going to weddings? You love going to weddings? Um, you don't have to tell me what your favorite part is, but you know, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I, like, I like going to weddings for some cake. Uh, anybody with me? Wedding cake? Um, I have a problem about my own wedding though. See, at the reception, it was a great reception, but there was one problem, all right? There was all kind of great food there. There was wedding cake there. There was a groom's cake. 
But when we left, I had not had any of the groom's cake. I'm the groom. I, I, I didn't need a bite of it. Somehow in the mix of walking around and talking to people, I didn't get to eat any of the cake that was for me. In fact, all the food that we had there, of all the food that everybody was eating, we barely ate anything. So as we're driving away, which by the way, we, we drove away on a motorcycle, me and Angela riding off on a motorcycle. That was pretty fun. Um, you're welcome to steal that idea if you want to do that later. Uh, I did it first, just saying, just give me a little credit for it. Uh, but once we got into a car, I, I said, Angela, we got to get something to eat. We didn't hardly eat anything. So can you guess where we had our first meal? Chick-fil-A drive through mind you as we're headed we had we had to drive a few hours uh, away but we stopped at the chick-fil-a drive through and that was our first official meal as a married couple but but it's funny thinking back on how there was so much food at this reception and the groom's cake that i picked out and i didn't even eat any of it we hardly had any of the food but here's why i tell you this story because that honestly represents where a lot of us as Christians are. That, that God has, has given us all of these things because of being in Christ. If you will, he has set out a spiritual buffet for us to eat. And yet many of us, if we are honest, maybe we're in a dry season. Maybe we're in a season where we feel like we're not hearing from the Lord Maybe we're in a season where we don't feel fed spiritually when there's all this food around, but we are not enjoying it. We're not partaking of it. And, and reality is this is where the, the people of Israel are in Judges chapter six. In Judges chapter six, we find God's people in the promised land, which we've talked about, is the land of Canaan, but they're not enjoying it. So let's start reading in verse one. Verse one, Judges chapter six says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Shocker, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, like there they go, they're doing evil again. That's that pattern of sin where they, they, they repent and they, they say, God, we're sorry. And then the next thing you know, they're back into their old ways. And guys, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We fall into this sinful pattern. And so it says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. Remember that nation, Midian, for seven years. Verse two, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Now we need to pause here for just a moment. And a few weeks ago, we touched on this a little bit, but I wanna be a little bit more direct right now. When we read these first two verses, it seems on the surface as if God is being a little bit harsh. Now it does teach us that he's in control, because it says he delivered them into the hands of the Midianites. But if we, if we think about this, wait a minute, is this who the God of the Bible is? Like he, he's given his own people to the Midianites? He's letting the Midianites dominate over the people of Israel to the point that the people of Israel are hiding in caves? Why is God hurting his people? Why is he allowing this to happen? Does, does God take place in the suffering of people? And these are some legitimate questions that we need to ask. 
Now, at first glance, if we're just reading this, sure, that may be what it seems like. Yeah, it seems like God is trying to hurt his people. But that could not be farther from the truth. You see, Israel, they had rebelled against God. They had rejected God. And we talked about this a few, a few weeks ago. God will not be mocked. But here's what you need to understand. If we could draw a line, Israel was heading in this direction. And if God would have done nothing, guess which direction Israel would have continued to head? This direction, away from God, continuing to rebel against God, continuing to reject God, heading towards a, a, a destructive path. And so God, being a good father, he intervenes. And so what seems to be harsh is actually an act of mercy. That's what it actually is. It's an act of mercy that God, in seeing his people go in a dangerous direction, would actually give him into the hands of the Midianites. Because in doing that, as we will see, it is the very thing that causes them to turn around and to go in the right direction. But what we see is that, that God, he punishes and corrects his children. That's who he is. He's a good father. Let me tell you. Uh, I have two boys, as you know this, and we are at a stage where we have to discipline all the time. I'm telling you guys, today was a rough day. I don't know what time you got up. I got up pretty early. And, and, and when, I, when I saw my boys, the discipline had already begun happening. One of my boys got whooped several times today. And here's the thing. Do, 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 I, do I like to punish my, my children? I, I don't enjoy that. I don't like doing that. But let me tell you why I, I, I punish, why I discipline my children. Because number one, I, I want them to, to learn obedience. I want them to learn respect. But if, if I discipline them now, then they will, as they get older, they will learn to obey me, but more importantly, to obey God. So I'm trying to think forward because I don't want them to get to be a teenager where they don't understand the concept of obedience. They don't understand the concept of respecting God. And so we have to discipline them now because I know if I don't do it, they will head down a path that is destructive. And although it may seem harsh right now, although it may hurt them right now and they may not fully understand it, it is necessary and I would dare say that when they get older, they may not verbalize it, but they will be thankful that I disciplined them and, and that they learn to obey dad because dad wants what's best for them. I, I don't want them to go down a path doing things they shouldn't do so that when I say, hey, buddy, I don't think you should go that way. They'll say, you know what? My dad cares for me. He knows what's best for me. And because they've learned it now, it'll make sense. God is a good father. He is a good father. And a good father punishes and corrects his children. Listen to Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. God's word says, My son, do not despise the chastening, the disciplining of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. God is a good father. God's treatment towards Israel may seem harsh, but again, it was because he's good. And honestly, some of you may find yourself at times in life where it seems like God is being harsh towards you. But I would dare say, 
that you might need to ask yourself, is God disciplining me? Am I experiencing the discipline, uh, the disciplining hand of God, which should point to us that he's a good father, that he loves us, he cares for us, he hasn't given up on us. And that's the picture we see here. God hadn't given up on his people. And let me say this to you, God has not given up on you. Some of you, you walked in here tonight and maybe that's how you felt, but God has not given up on you. He hadn't given up on his people and he hadn't given up on you. So Israel's having to hide in caves from the Midianites and the Amalekites. They're fearful, they're afraid, they're just trying to survive. Again, they're in the promised land, this incredible land, but they're not enjoying it. Look at verse four. Verses four through six says, then they would encamp against them, the Midianites, and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So finally, after seven years of discipline, after seven years of harsh treatment from the Midianites, finally, somebody in Israel said, you know what? We probably should cry out to the Lord. We probably should cry out to the Lord who for hundreds of years has been so good to our forefathers. We should probably cry out to, to the God that rescued us from slavery, that cared for us, that brought us into this very land. We should probably cry out to him. Now again, they are in the promised land, the land of Canaan, which is a very good land. Listen to Exodus 3.8. Exodus 3.8 says, it is a good and a large land a land flowing with milk and honey. The land of Canaan, it could grow the best crops. It, it, it was one of the best places to grow food and have crops. It was a luscious, fertile place where God wanted his people to experience his blessings, his provision. He had put it all out there. And as we've said before, he wanted to exalt the nation of Israel for all nations to see how good God is, the God of the Bible. And he gave them this incredible land. He gave them all these things to enjoy, but they weren't enjoying it. They weren't enjoying it because of the decisions that they had made, the decisions that they had made to turn from God. And really the picture that I have in my mind is, have you ever seen the movie A Bug's Life? Again, I got two little boys. We watch a lot of Disney movies. If you've ever seen that movie, you have these grasshoppers who come flying in, these locusts, if you will, and they are controlling the life of the ants. And the ants have all this food that they have to get, give to the grasshoppers. And then guess what? The ants, they go into the anthill and they kind of wait in there. They wait for the grasshoppers to come. The grasshoppers take all their food and then they leave. And then the ants can come out. Well, literally in our passage, the Midianites, God's word says they were as numerous as locusts. So if you can just imagine this swarm of locusts coming in and taking, devouring this whole land so that God's people had nothing. They didn't have anything. Now again, God had brought them to this land to enjoy provision from him. And here they are experiencing nothing. So they cry out to God. 
And again, as we've said time and time again, Judges shows us that when we cry out to God, he hears us. Judges shows us that it's never too late to cry out to God. Hey, you messed up today? You're frustrated about some struggle in your life? Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Repent. Cry out to God. That's what we see the nation of Israel doing. And God hears and God gives a deliverer. And his name is Gideon. Look at verse 11. This is where we meet Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord, which I'll pause right there. In your own time, you can study out what the angel of the Lord means. Some would say that the angel of the Lord is literally Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. We understand that Jesus is eternal. He has always existed. But some would suggest that this moment right here is called a Christophany, Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Orphra, which belonged to Joash, the Abias, right? While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now let's try to get this scene. The nation of Israel, they're afraid of the Midianites. So again, They've made dens and caves for themselves. And here we find Gideon. We find Gideon, he's in a wine press. So he's most likely in a, in a lower portion of the ground. So he's kind of imagine kind of like a ditch area, a big area that's been dug out. And he's, he, he's, he's basically, uh, he's dealing with wheat. He's threshing it out. He's trying to get it ready so that they can have some bread. But he's doing it in the wine press so that nobody sees him. He doesn't want to be seen by the Midianites. He's afraid. He's fearful. Uh, we could probably call him a coward because probably most of Israel at this time are cowards. But this is where we find Gideon. And the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, what would this look like? I don't exactly know. But in this moment when Gideon is afraid and he's fearful and he's trying to get a little bit of food for him and probably his family to eat, an angel of the Lord shows up and says some really interesting things to him. And he says that, that God is going to use you. He's going to use you. And he calls him a man of valor. Gideon's hiding from the Midianites. How is it that this is going to be the very guy that God uses to rescue his people? Well, Gideon is wondering the same thing because if you look at verse 15, he says, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So again, Manasseh is a tribe of Israel. And, it, and Gideon is saying, I'm, a, I'm a the least of the tribes. And I'm the, I'm the least in my father's house. So Gideon realizes that he's unqualified for this mission. And, and he begins to tell the angel of the Lord, hey, let, let me give you reasons why I am unqualified for what you said you want me to do. I'm from the least of the tribes. I'm the least in my family. He's basically giving the opposite of a resume. It's a negative resume of, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not qualified. I can't do what you're telling me to do. Gideon had yet to learn one of the principles that we see in God's word. And you've probably heard this said before, but God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. As we said last week, God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. God was going to equip Gideon with everything that he needed to do what he was calling him to do. 
And God saw what Gideon would become and spoke that over him through the angel of the Lord. Look back at verse 12. I find this interesting. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you. That is incredibly important. We got to cling to that through this whole story. But he also says, oh, mighty man of valor. Oh, mighty man of valor. You're hiding from the enemy. You are a coward. You are a weak man. Well, that's what Gideon thought about himself. But what the Lord wanted Gideon to hear is, you're a mighty man of valor. Some of us have put some definitions on us that we've come up with. And we're not trusting in what God has said about us. When we are in Christ, we are made new. We are, we are a part of God's family. Uh, we have been redeemed. We have been rescued. Some of us need to get our identity straight because we're putting a false identity on us that God has not said about us. God told Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. And we're going to see that the Lord was with Gideon throughout this story. And so Gideon may have been a coward and he may have been weak and he may have been from a weak tribe, but because the Lord was with him, it was gonna change the trajectory of his life. And let me just encourage you, if you are a Christian, if you have come to understand that you're a sinner and you've turned to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's word is so clear. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. So what you've done and even where you are doesn't have to define where you're going because the Lord is with you and he will equip you to what he's calling you to do. He will supply to you what you need. And guess what? He is going to be glorified in your weakness, as we'll see in this passage. I'm thankful that, number two, God often calls the unqualified God often calls the unqualified. Did you know that I was super quiet growing up? Like really quiet. Like when I was in school growing up, and maybe some of you are like, I could totally see that. I'm telling you, I was very quiet, a very shy person, have a bent towards being more introverted. And so it's a little bit odd that I'm standing here with a microphone on a stage talking to you. Now, I love to, to play sports, and I opened up a little bit more out there, but in the classroom, just me and my desk, occasionally talking to a friend. I was very quiet, a shy person. You look all throughout the Bible, people like Moses. God called Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of, uh, uh, out of Egypt. Guess what? Moses was a stutterer. He, he wanted Moses to stand before Pharaoh and speak, and, and Moses had a stuttering problem. And we can even look outside of the Bible at people that God has used in an incredible way and the things that he's done through them. I'm so grateful that God often calls the unqualified. In verse 16, it says, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. We're going to see over and over and over again that God makes it clear that he's trying to encourage Gideon. I'm with you. I'm with you. Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites. Get this, the Lord already promises the victory. The victory has been promised. So honestly, all Gideon needs to do is trust in this and live this out. To trust that the Lord is with him and he's going to give the victory. But that's not necessarily what Gideon does. You see, the Lord promised victory, but Gideon is a doubter. 
Some of you are doubters in the room. You doubt what God's word says about you. You doubt what God's word says about, uh, about again, really anything. Perhaps you, you doubt your salvation. Perhaps you doubt God's love. Perhaps you doubt, you wonder, well, is God going to leave me? Is God going to forsake me? Gideon was a doubter. And so if you're a doubter, you can be in, in the club with Gideon. And guess what? We see that God didn't give up on Gideon. Verse 17, then he said to him, Gideon speaks, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Uh, wasn't an angel of the Lord showing up in the wine press out of nowhere enough? Wasn't that enough for him to see an angel? And yet Gideon says, ah, I don't know about this. Uh, can you give me a sign? Can we just see like a billboard over there that just says you can do it? Uh, can you give me a sign? And so that's what Gideon asked for. Now, I want us to fast forward. Because of the length of this story, we can't jump into every detail. And so I would encourage you to read this story later. But I want us to fast forward to verse 36, because this wasn't the only time that Gideon asked for a sign. Look at verse 36 of chapter 6. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. So he got his sign. God did what he asked him to do. Gideon the doubter said, God, can you, hey, listen, can you just confirm what you're saying? I know you already said it, but can you confirm? So he rings out the fleece. Water comes out. Pick up in verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. God, I, it's me again. Don't, don't get mad at me here, but can we do it again? But can we flip it this time? Just so that I'm certain that it is you who's talking. He says, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. So at this point, Gideon has asked God for three signs. Again, he's a doubter. Some of us were in that same camp, but I, I'm grateful that God doesn't get mad at Gideon. I'm grateful that, that God simply grants Gideon's request. And he says, okay, I'll prove it to you. I, this is me talking. This is, this is me that have made this, this promise. And so number three, God assures the unsure. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Maybe there was a question that you had. Maybe there was something that you wanted to find out. So you're like, God, I need a sign. I really like that guy. I really like that girl. Give me a sign if I, if I should go talk to him, if I should go talk to her. About that time, somebody walks by with a Nike shirt that says, just do it. And you said, thank you, God. There's my sign. I'm making my move. Guys, if we're being honest, we will look at this story in Judges and that's what we'll do, which is a terrible idea. Don't be like Gideon. Gideon didn't have the scriptures like we have them. See, God wants to assure the unsure, me and you, with his word. 
We have the written word of God. You want to hear from him? Open up the Bible and read and listen to what God has to say. Right now, if you have a, a major decision in your life, you got a small decision in your life, open up the word, read it, study it. Let God take his word and speak truths into your life. Search the scriptures. And honestly, if we're not regularly reading and consuming the Bible, that can be really hard to do. Because then we have a big decision and we're like, well, I guess I'll open the Bible and you know, just, you know, point and, you know, in Hebron, what is, you know, what's going on here? No, no, no. Read, consume the Bible and think about what's going on in your life. And as you're reading the Bible, take a book at a time, study it, read it out. And God will assure the things that you are doubting. He will reveal himself to you. He will prove himself to you in the same way that he does to Gideon. Now let's keep going. I want you to go over to Judges chapter seven. We're gonna fast forward Gideon. He's ready to go to battle. And at this point in the story, guess what? He's got 32,000 people of Israel that are ready to go to battle against the Midianites. Verse two says this. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you, so the, the, the 32,000 are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Imagine Gideon. He's got 32,000 people and he's thinking, hey, this is going to be all right. We are going to be good. Hey, the Lord promised victory. And look at all these people. We are going to be okay. And then the Lord says, hey, Gideon, you got too many people. And if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, hold up now. This looks like a great number. This looks like a really great number. 22,000 depart. He's left with 10,000. They're outnumbered at this point. But if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, you know what? We, we, we still got something that we can that we can work with. I mean, we got 10,000 people. All right, guys, we can do this. Here's what I want you to see. Number four, God creates discomfort for his glory. God creates discomfort for his glory. Sometimes God will put us in an uncomfortable position just so that he can get the glory. Maybe he won't reveal all the details. Maybe he won't show every little bit and we're forced to trust him. Or maybe he just puts us in an uncomfortable spot where we say, you know what? I don't know how this thing is going to work out. And the only way it's going to work out is if God is in it. And that means that God is the only one that can get the glory. And so he begins to do this in Gideon's life. And so he takes 22,000 people away. But then in verse four, Gideon hears from God again. Look at this. God says, the people who are with you are still too many. Gideon saying, oh, hold up, God, hold up just a second. God says, bring them down to the water and I will test you there. And so what we see is that there's this water drinking test that takes place between verses five and, and seven. And so these 10,000, they go and they begin to drink water. And basically there's two kind of water drinkers. There are those who get down on their knees and, and, and they're drinking water. You know, they're just, man, we made it to the water. This is awesome. Let's drink some water. But then there were those who, who kind of, they kind of scooped it up and they're just lap, lapping it out of their hand. 
And, and, and so what we see, and I'm thinking, if I'm Gideon, I'm like, come on, guys, why don't you change how you drink? Like, why don't you, why don't you be like these others? Because 9,700 were down on their knees drinking. Again, if I could see this, they're kind of, you know, honestly, they're just focused on themselves. And they're drinking like that. But some of them, they, they kind of scooped it up with their hand and they're, and they're lapping it like a dog out of their hand. But in my mind, they're doing this. They're kind of they're watching one another's back. There's 300 of those that God says, those are the ones. Those are the ones. And so now Gideon is left with 300 people. 300 people. How do you think Gideon feels now? Probably a lot like he felt when he was beating out wheat in the wine press, fearful from the Midianites. He's right back there again, doubting, wondering, God, how are you going to do this? Again, God creates discomfort for his glory. And that's what he did in Gideon's life. That's what he was doing for the people of Israel. But guess what? God knew the doubting that was entering into Gideon's heart. And so verse nine, we see that the Lord says to him, arise, go down against the camp. So Gideon, hey, I know you're doubting. If you want, you can go spy on the Midianites. Go down to the camp for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. So Gideon decides, all right, I, I'm struggling, God. I, I know you've said you were gonna give us the victory, but I kinda need another sign. And so I'm gonna take your advice. I'm gonna go to the enemy camp. And so Gideon goes down there and he begins to listen. And so he's sneaking around with his servant and they begin to hear one of the enemy talk about a dream that he had. In verse 13 says this, this is an enemy talking. I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread of all things, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. So this is what the enemy is saying. Somebody is telling this dream and Gideon is overhearing it. It's like this barley bread dream. Verse 14, then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Again, this is the enemy speaking. And God allowed Gideon to hear it because God knew that Gideon was struggling. He was doubting. And so he is giving him assurance here. And in verse 15, we see that Gideon, after hearing this, he worships. Finally, he finally decides to trust God. He finally decides, you know what? What God said in, in Judges chapter six, what God said when I was in the wine press, you know, I believe that. It took long enough, Gideon. It took long enough, but finally he believes. And so what we see is that the battle is about to begin, but it's a unique battle strategy. We see that Gideon and all of these 300 men, they have three items. They have a pitcher, they have a torch or a flame, a, a lamp of sort. They have a pitcher, a lamp, a torch, and they have a trumpet. We don't see anything about swords. We don't see anything about spears, no, no shields, no helmets. Nope. 
Hey, I want you to get a pitcher, this, this vessel, if you will. I want you to get a lamp, a torch, and I want you to get a trumpet. Now, I want you to listen to what happens. We're, we're getting close. Verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men, these 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just as they, as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, talking about the, the Midianite camp, the enemy camp. And the whole Midianite army ran and cried out and fled. Verse 22, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword in the Midianite camp, every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel, Meloha, and by Tabith. Point number five, God fulfills his promise. Who would have thought that when God came to Gideon and said, hey, you are gonna have the victory, that it would be from breaking a, a pitcher, a, a vessel, holding a flashlight and blowing a horn. Who would have thought that that would have brought about victory? But it was because the Lord was with him. So very quickly, very quickly and we're done. How in the world, what in the world does this story have to do with you and I? You know, I started out at the very beginning saying, you know what, for, for those of us that are Christians, God has essentially in a spiritual sense brought us into the promised land where we should experience life with Christ to the fullest. But many of us are not. We are exactly like the Israelites. We've allowed some, some things into the land and we are now hiding and we're not experiencing, we're not experience, experiencing freedom and victory and a vibrant, victorious relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do we do to experience that kind of victory? I'm gonna read one last passage. I'm gonna give you three quick challenges. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses five through seven. I wanna read this and then I think you'll see how this fits together. Paul writes, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate judge, and ourselves, your bond servants for Jesus' sake. Verse six, for it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels a picture, if you will, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Some of you, you feel like you're hiding in a cave. You should be experiencing the blessings of the promised land, but you're not. So, so what do we do? Number one, break your vessel, break your pitcher. That's what Gideon and the army did. Many times in the New Testament, a person's body is referred to as a vessel. What do I mean by break your vessel? I mean, don't live for the flesh. Don't live for it. Break it. Break the vessel. Because what is inside the vessel? As we just read in 2 Corinthians, there's light in there. 
And what did Gideon and the army do? They, they, they shone their light. They, sh they allowed it to illuminate all around. So when the, when the enemy army saw it, they saw all these lights. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. You have the, the Holy Spirit flame inside of you. Let it shine. Put to death this this vessel, this, this pottery that, that God's word would speak about your flesh, put it to death and let the light of the Holy Spirit shine so that everybody can see. Let the light of Christ shine in and through you. And lastly, make a sound of praise with your mouth. In the same way that Gideon and that army, they, they blew a trumpet, a victorious sound. We see where Paul just said, hey, we proclaim Jesus Christ. Proclaim Jesus Christ. S speak to yourself the name of Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself and preach to those around you.